Welcome to the Amy Rushworth Show. I'm your host, Amy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm an empowerment and sexual wellness coach, breathwork teacher, podcaster, course creator, badass bitch, and a globally recognized thought leader on empowerment. And I'm here to help you if you're ready to fuck off the rules and create a life of unashamed, unapologetic pleasure and deep, deep confidence. I have a burning passion for the taboo and naughty areas of womanhood that we're not supposed to talk about, such as sexual wellness, bold self-expression, defying social expectations, and so much more. The topics that we're typically taught to shut up about or be ashamed of are the conversations I live for, and those are the kind of juicy, soulful chats that are going down on this show. My intention is for you to step into your most outrageously free, unapologetically expressed version of you. So if that sounds like a vibe, let's fucking go. Are you ready? Hey, Heather, how are you? Hi, Amy. Great. Thanks for asking. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. Okay. So I'm Dr. Heather McKee. I'm a behavior change psychologist and habit coach. So founder of drheathermckee.co.uk. And yeah, I'm excited to be here to talk about habit change. Amazing. So habits, I mean, they influence everything, right? Like your habits create your reality because it's what you do every day in and out. So uh, with the work that you do, like what are the habits that people really struggle with that seek you out? I, I love what you said there actually, because like about 40% of our day is made up of the habits that we have. I always say like our life today is like a sum of our habits. What your relationship is like is a sum of your habits. You know, how well you do at your job is a sum of your habits. Like what your health is like is a sum of your habits. And it's not just kind of one thing. It's, you know, all of the little things that you do cumulatively kind of feed into that. And so we can have all the nutrition knowledge in the world and all the exercise knowledge in the world, but actually understanding how to implement it and actually make it happen on a day-to-day basis is where a lot of us get stuck. And so I help people that are stuck with their habits that have maybe tried kind of multiple diets or, um, you know, can't make an exercise habit stick and really look at, you know, what are those, what's holding those people back and help support them with the kind of skills and knowledge and the confidence to actually make it happen and importantly, make it happen for the rest of their lives. Yeah, because I know, and something I teach a lot with confidence is that you usually have low confidence when you're constantly breaking all these little tiny promises to yourself because you lose that trust in yourself. And it can be really frustrating when you have all that information, like you said, you know, you need to eat well you know you need to drink some more water and you know that and you're still not doing it because information isn't transformation and so I think like confidence definitely plays a big part in that but it can be like a self-fulfilling prophecy can't it like when you can't master the habit and then your confidence is affected again and again and again because you're just in this point of frustration with yourself so like what are the first steps that you work with people on or what are the first like you know, the game changing principles that you would give to someone when they're trying to change a habit or when they have loads of things they want to change about their lifestyle. Yeah, I actually think that's a really important point because like when we think about think about New Year's, like we all kind of, you know, come January comes around and we're like, right, I'm going to give up sugar. I'm going to run every day. I'm going to be really nice to my other half. I'm going to save money. I'm going to be like the best person on earth. 
and actually the more goals we add in the more we dilute our effectiveness and actually when it comes to habit change it's about kind of small changes is what kind of gets big results there's this whole width about willpower and basically we think that we can do all of the things we rely way too much on our willpower but your willpower it's like a muscle and so if you go to the gym every day like over the next week and you train like your left bicep by the end of the week like you wouldn't be able to pick up a cup of tea like you'd be exhausted right willpower is just like that as well if we try and do all of the things all at once which so many of us do you know we exhaust our willpower we deplete ourselves something that I work with my clients on is like what's the smallest change that you can make well and I call them micro changes they're so small something that like is trip overable in a way in a habit so it's so, it's so easy it's almost laughable and that's because that's what builds the confidence and that's what builds momentum over time and so I always say to people examine what's the smallest first step you can take because a lot of people start out with the biggest first step and you know that can be a real barrier to long-term success so really understanding, you know, what's driving this habit in the first place, if it's kind of, you know, a goal that's for other people, if it's for kind of the Facebook likes or for if it's a particular number on the scales or a particular number in a marathon or a particular number of weight lifted or whatever it is, you know, those goals are extrinsic. So they're kind of external. They're for other people and they tend to be quite short lived. And yet, like, you know, you've got to enjoy what you're doing every day in order to make it a habit. So those are goals that you do for you because you're being true to yourself and intrinsic kind of translates into well, the Latin translation is goods for your soul, which I absolutely love, love that. Yeah. And it's all about like, you know, why would you do anything that's not true to you? And so those goals that are most sticky, that people stick to the most are those goals that are kind of in line with who that person is. So they're true inherent values. And I think you spoke about it really well on my podcast, you know, when you talked about you know, creating a values mantra and having a kind of, you know, a real clear understanding of what your values are and using that as your compass to guide your daily decisions. And so I'd ask people to ask themselves, you know, why is it important for me to make that change mm-hmm. um, in the first instance? And then the second question is, you know, what's the smallest step I can take today towards that change? Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of people would identify kindness as one of their, as, as one of their top values. Mm. But then I'll say to them, well, how kind are you being to yourself? And they're like, well, I don't have any kindness left for me or I don't really include myself in that equation. And I say, well, you're out of integrity with your values and that's why you don't have confidence because you're not honouring yourself. You're not honouring your values with the number one person in your life, which is you. Without you, you don't don't exist, right? Um, And I think as well, especially if we talk about like weight loss and habits that are directed at weight loss, A lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time it comes from self-loathing or self-hate or uh, a deeper belief that I'm not enough unless I'm externally this way. Whereas perhaps maybe if you were really obese and your motivation was, I want to be able to kick the footy with my son and I want to feel amazing with my kids, that's linked to the feelings and the values, you know, being an amazing parent and being healthy for your kids and a good example And I guess this is why diets don't work, right? Because you can't be motivated by self-hate. You can be motivated by excitement. When something excites you, you can probably do it for hours and hours and hours, but you can't be motivated long-term by by self-hate or negativity. Yeah, no, I love that you say that. So 
yeah absolutely absolutely true and that's it at the core like you know like well I've spent 10 years researching you know how people lose weight without dieting and what one thing that we know conclusively from the evidence is that diets don't work and it's because you can't shame yourself into change you know mm. and and shame is such a horrible horrible place to be and yet that's what kind of we're taught you know the media teaches us and we're taught by kind of commercial diets is you know you've got to have this massive kind of physical transformation otherwise you know you're not worth anything and I think that's really really difficult because actually people aren't given the right tools to be actually able to understand themselves better and therefore you know create better habits um, and I love what you said there about kindness because it is about self-kindness and actually research shows time and time again that those that are the most kind to themselves they go further faster they're more likely to stick to their goals they're more likely to be healthier um, they're more likely to be, you know, have better immune systems, they're less likely to be depressed or anxious um, or suffer from mental health difficulties. And they're more likely to give themselves patience. And patience is one of the key factors that are implicated in kind of long-term habit success. You know, patience with yourself. And give yourself the space to really kind of understand what works for you and experiment with what works for you. And what's quite interesting is in some of our studies, um, we found that we compared like people that were most successful at maintaining their healthy habits long term versus those that were unsuccessful, even if they had maintained them for a while. Um, and what we found with the successful maintainers was that they saw failure as a learning, as a growth opportunity. And so they looked to examine the situation. Okay, well, why, you know, why did I get into temptation at that time? Okay, maybe I was hungry. Maybe I was moody. Maybe I was in, you know, I'd left myself. I was in a stress situation. And um, so they started to like understand a little bit more about why they acted in a certain way. And so they were able to learn from that and then apply it to the future. And we found that certain people give in at certain times of day. So the most common times of day were kind of half three and half eight. Um, and half three, it was just because it was often, you know, people hadn't set themselves up with enough lunch. There was too big a gap between lunch and dinner. It wasn't sustainable enough. They might have been bored or stressed at that time. And so what we train people in is rather than actually using food as a coping response, you know, how can you understand your emotions better? You know, you're stressed right now. How can you relieve stress? you're bored right now how can you relieve boredom um and that's what self-kindness is it's about kind of stepping and I call it a self-care check-in you know and I tell my clients you know check in with yourself throughout the day what are my physiological needs you know am I thirsty am I hungry um do I need to rest right now what are my emotional needs what are my mental needs or what are my social needs right now you know check in with yourself and say you know what do I need right now in this moment to feel nourished and the more you can understand that about yourself, you can show yourself compassion and say, oh, I'm actually just craving chocolate right now because I'm tired. And actually what's best for me right now is actually to have a break. And so you can learn different coping mechanisms. I mean, I know that with a lot of my clients, like chocolate's always coming up, right? Yeah. I love chocolate. It's like my soul food. But I do know that a lot of the time, if you have that craving for chocolate, if you ask yourself, what am I really craving right now? Oh. It's not actually the chocolate. It's the feeling or the sensation that the chocolate gives you. So often it's like people who have a lack of self-love or yeah. maybe they feel like there's a gap in their romantic life or in their relationship somehow and they, they need that sweetness in some way. I think it's just like checking in with yourself, right? And like experimenting, like you said, maybe trying breathing or walking and stuff. And then I also say like sometimes 
you can make choices like that lovingly, right? Like, it, I guess, it, again, it comes down to that motivation of like, I'm going to have a treat today because like that is what my higher self would have me do because I'm meeting with my best friend and we're going to have a chocolate brownie, you know, yeah. and it's going to be a soul nourishing experience. Um, but I think like you probably see this all the time when you restrict, you restrict, you restrict, yeah. you get in that cycle of guilt, restrict, shame. And shame is the heaviest emotion of them all. So to feel lighter, it's not actually probably anything to do with the weight at all. It's yeah. to do with the weight of the shame. Oh, I love that. That's so, that is absolutely true. And like, it makes me think that there's this one exercise with um, a researcher called Dr. Kristen Neff. The first step is to really examine, you know, what is it that I'm craving right now? And trying to understand that a little bit better with yourself. And then the kind of second step is to say, well, what do I need in this moment to feel nourished? And to really understand that, one exercise you can do is think about what you'd say to a friend in that situation. What would be the words of nourishment you would give them? What's the words of affection? What's the words of love? What's the words of support that you would give them at that time? And, you know, write down what you would say to that friend. Because again, you know, as you said at the start, Amy, so rightly so, so much easier for us to give love and kindness to other people. And yet it's so hard and we so, you know, so much neglect giving that kindness to ourselves. And say, what are those words that resonate with me? Because they've shown time and time again in studies that those words that you give others are so often the words that you need to hear yourself. What ones of those words can you take home? And create a mess where they talk about, well, how can you create a compassion mantra around those? So it may be something like, you know, I am enough, or I am heard, or I'm listened to. Or it might be that something you might want to say to yourself is, oh, may I be happy. And that's something that you can use yourself to kind of self-soothe at times when you feel like you've got that emotional hunger that you need to hear those words. Think about those words that you need to hear. And that's a really lovely coping mechanism to use in those times. And, you know, it might not always work for you. Um, you may have left yourself, you know, too physiologically or emotionally hungry at certain times, but in certain times it will work for you. And it's about finding those words that really resonate with you. Yeah, yeah. It's like catching yourself in the act, right? And going almost like reasoning with yourself, like you would reason with a little toddler who's being irrational and saying, you know what, like, is this, is this a real thing? Is this a real thought that I'm not worthy of, you know, meeting my own needs? Is is this a real thought that everyone else has to come before me and I get the scraps? You know what I mean? A lot of women, they work so hard and, you know, don't even meet their own baseline needs in terms of getting enough sleep or, you know, asking their partners for support or they're saying yes to everything that they're not even, you know, getting two glasses of water in a day or proper lunch or whatever. For me, I say like the same thing. If you can't take care of yourself, if your inner self doesn't trust you to even take care of your baseline needs, it's going to be really hard to you know, give to other people, but it's also going to be hard to like dream outside of your basic needs and life's going to feel pretty grim. Yeah. So um, with people who are maybe listening, maybe they're really stressed, right? Stress can bring out all sorts of habits in people. Like what are some of the habits that you see uh, in your clients who I guess have high stress jobs or high stress lifestyles and what are some of the ways that they can start to manage that stress? Um, obviously, not everybody has the flexibility of just sleeping yeah. 10 hours a night, you know, and there are certain expectations if you do have a corporate job, for example. So 
what are some of the little ways that people can start to get themselves into a better state of mind and a better state in their habits? The first kind of step I would say is examine, okay, well, when is peak stress for you? When do you find that it kind of builds up the most? And what are the key factors that fed into it? And so habits work off a kind of a loop of a cue or a trigger, an action, and then a reward. And so the cue or the trigger might be, like I mentioned, you know, before in our studies, it was a certain time of day for some people, for other people, it might be stress itself. So there's certain cues or triggers. So the first step is to really get to know what those cues and triggers are for you. Um, because if you can know what they are, you can kind of, you know, look at how you manipulate those in a different way. Um, so an easy example for that is if, in your environment. So if you kind of come home late from work and you open your fridge and, you know, it's full of chocolate and cakes, the first thing you see, you know, that's going to be the first thing you eat because, you know, we eat what we see. And so if you can kind of replace or re-engineer that environment and have, you know, healthy foods be the first foods that you see, it's more likely that you will, um, you know, eat those foods, especially when you're in a stressed um, state, because when we're in a stressed state, we preferentiate higher calorie foods to be able to, you know, fight um, the issue. And the next step I would really look at is the reward. So what is it that you're craving when you are, you know, having, you know, sweets or, you know, you're turning to alcohol or whatever the habit may be to deal with your stress? And is there something else you can do at that time that will create that feeling? And so often, you know, we just don't have stress tactics. We don't have coping skills. We just don't have other ways of dealing with stress. And so it's very, very hard for us to look outside of food and, and, you know, or, or alcohol or different temptations and actually have an appropriate and a useful response to stress because the thing is smoking you know alcohol or food it doesn't actually provide much stress relief over time and in fact it creates a neurological feedback loop where your body starts to crave that specific thing when it gets stressed and so the way to kind of break that habit is to keep the cue and the reward the same but replace the behavior yeah that's awesome so it's about replacing it but not just deleting it, not just restricting it. I remember when I was at my worst and I was in counselling and um, my counsellor said to me, Amy, you need to stop going out and drinking so much alcohol all the time. It's not helping your current state of panic attacks, depression and anxiety. And at at that point, I was like, there's no way I can not go go out and do that. Like it it was the most ridiculous thing anyone would have ever said to me at the time. But she said, okay, why don't you still go out, but every second drink, make it a glass of water, even if you scull it and then get your next one really yeah. quickly. Because for her, she was like, I guess, taking me through that process of like knowing if I'm going to drink water in between, I'm going to drink less yeah. over the long term over the night and maybe going to be more sober as well. And that really helped me at the time. And then obviously I don't really drink anymore, but I couldn't have just deleted that yeah. at the time because it was like a coping mechanism, you know, yeah. and these like our habits are there for a reason, right? They're yeah. there to give us something or help us relieve pain. And I think it's like important as well to acknowledge that like your habit, you should have an element of gratitude for it, even if it's mm-hmm. not what you want anymore, because yeah. it, it came about to serve you in some way or to help you with something that you couldn't cope with, even if it's something really bad. So it's like, I guess, acknowledging that, practicing gratitude, and then finding like what's going to be a slightly healthier replacement. So a bit of a rogue question. Can you apply this thinking to say, I don't know, your love life. So say you're in an addictive habit of Mm. like 
texting that guy back that you know isn't good for you but you just want that almost hit of attention or that hit of validation yeah the first step most girls are going to do is like I'm going to either get that app on my phone where it's like the drunk texting app so you can't text someone's number yeah or I'm going to delete his number but then you know you get drunk or you get in a state and you go find it and yeah you know send something so obviously that's the restriction model yeah so how could someone like look at a situation like that and go how can I replace this with a healthier behavior that gives me the same reward or gives me the same kind of sensation that I'm craving yeah no I love that that's so interesting and I I do love what you said actually and it goes back to something you said earlier about deprivation because deprivation is the cause of craving the more you resist the more it persists um I'd be interested from your experience what you found has worked for your clients in terms of that yeah so usually the reason we want an external goal so a relationship is obviously a really core external goal for most people a lot of women that I meet go I'm going to be happy when I get a boyfriend Mm. I'm going to be happy then when I get my engagement ring or then when I have my wedding or whatever it is you know and it's this disease of always wanting more but then I kind of ask them I'm like okay well let's unravel the extrinsic goal so like what is it that you want to feel yeah because there's a dream version of themselves that they're looking to for that so we want a dream relationship because we want the way that it's going to make us feel. We either want, you know, the significance or the, you know, love and connection, or we want the excitement or the passion or the adventure. Or or maybe it's like you want that dream relationship because you want to travel with them and you want to have amazing experiences with them. So then I ask them, okay, well, how can you start to cultivate those feelings now? Because, I mean, law of attraction and manifestation, you have to be on the same frequency as the things that you want. But I think a lot of the time we basically wait for the evidence to show up or we wait for the relationship to show up and then we're going to be that dream version of ourselves or then we're going to be excited and it doesn't really work that way because your dream partner is not going to be attracted to you when you're in that low state of like feeling insecure um compromising settling for you know shit behavior or whatever you know so but I think it's like back again to like knowing your values Mm -hmm. knowing how much value you have to offer and then it probably sometimes takes you going through like quite a lot of shitty experiences and like you said failures where you kind of fuck up and you don't do the the good healthy habit you know you don't um you know go for the amazing guy you go for the bad guy Mm -hmm. and you keep going back for the bad guy and sometimes like definitely for me as well like I had to go through those experiences to learn and to get so fed up that I was like, okay, I have to be the best version of me if I want the best version of everything else. Yeah. So um, I think it's definitely like an internal thing. And in terms of not texting back, yeah. it's like, I guess maybe you want to feel, maybe you want attention or maybe you want someone yeah. to like, so what is your, what is it you're craving? Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, okay, well maybe, maybe can I have a friend that I text and I, yeah. you know, you have an agreement with your best friend. You're like, I'm going to text you because I'm yeah. craving to text that guy. And I know it's not, I, I it's think not good you, for me. What you're, you're feeling into is so interesting. So it's to do with, um, there's this psycho- a psychological theory called implementation intentions. And it's like, like so often when it comes to habits, we expect we can go from A to B in a straight line without any deviation off the path. And it's exactly, you know, like you say with relationships, you expect it just for that to happen without any deviation off the path. And ultimately, you know, life doesn't work in that way. And there'll always be, you know, maybe this your health habits, be your relationship habits. There'll always be little things that pop up. 
And funnily enough, like we kind of see, you know, those isolated incidences. We see that, oh, I really need to text him kind of scenarios and isolated incident, but that's not an isolated incident. It probably has happened a number of times. And mm-hmm. it's like exactly what you say. It's like, so those that are most successful are the people that look at, well, if that happens, then I'll do X. So they're called like if then plans. And they've shown mm-hmm. in hundreds of studies that people that have a plan are people that are successful. And so it's like, I say to my clients, I'm like, plan for when you're going to be in a bad mood because we're all going to be in a bad mood at one stage. Plan for when you're stressed. Plan for when you're traveling. Plan for, you know, when the kids don't get picked up from school. Plan for when he doesn't text back. Like, have a plan. And so one question that people at home can ask themselves is, you know, if X happens, then I will do Y. So, you know, if he doesn't write back, what are the other options that can help fulfill you Mm. in that moment, that it can help fill that need, can help fill that craving? When we look at people's habits and behaviors, there are consistent, consistent patterns. These things aren't one off. And so if you can have a plan for each scenario that comes up for you, you know, having a plan is what's going to keep you back on track. So they've shown a number of numerous numerous studies when people said when and where they're going to take their medications, when and where they're going to do a breast health check, when and where they're going to eat um, healthily. When they put it, take it out of surreal, esoteric, and put it into the context of their everyday life. So when and where am I going to exercise this week? So instead of like doing more yoga, it becomes, if it's Monday and it's 7 a.m., I'm going to go to um, try yoga in Shoreditch at 7 a.m. to that class. So it takes it out of, you know, bigger goals. It makes it much, much more specific. Yeah, they say, you know, when you schedule it, that's when something's really real, you know, when you write it down, when yeah. you schedule it, it it energizes the goal, doesn't it? Because yeah. what, otherwise it's just up in your head. Yeah. But when you speak it out or you schedule it out or you plan yeah. it out, you bring you bring energy to that goal and you bring it into the physical realm. Then you can visualize it, like, you know, because it takes, you know, close your eyes and walk through how that is going to happen, what that could look like. How are you going to feel? Who you're with? Who's there? You know, what do you see? What do you smell? What do you taste? You know, the more vivid you can make that in your mind, the more likely it is that you're going to be able to carry it out. And it's more likely it is that you're going to be able to spot things that might get in the way. And the more likely it is that you're going to be able to stick to that thing because you've taken it out of, yeah, um, you know, some vague goal and you put it into your reality. So, you know, taking a second, you know, make your if then plans. Um, specify when and where and then just shut your eyes for a second and walk yourself through you know how you're going to do that goal anticipate any barriers see yourself overcoming those barriers and it just will you know really enhance your success yeah I'm sure it enhances action taking too because you know I I do business coaching as well for women and wellness and a lot of the time they have things that they want to do but they just come to the session I'm like have you launched the podcast yet or have you sent that newsletter out yet you know and they're like oh no I haven't done it yet and I'm like okay so this is the third time we've spoken about this like what's stopping you and it's because all of those roadblocks are in their head but they're kind of just not wanting to even think about them so they're just pushing it aside but if you actually visualize okay well what could be the problems that come up here what are going to be the things that get my way and you really strongly visualize it, then you can kind of almost coach yourself or be coached through that process of like, okay, well, when that happens, what would be a solution there? And so then it's like, okay, well, hopefully none of those challenges present, but if they do, I've already lived through them now in my mind. And now I know what like the key actions are for me to take. So 
think it like takes away some of that resistance to taking the first step towards something. Yeah, so true, absolutely true. So I know that you have mentioned to me before that there's three kind of pillars that are the essentials in habit change. So could you share those with us? Yeah. So I think we talked about um, one of the primary ones, which was kind of self-kindness and self-compassion and actually being able to understand, you know, what you're craving, understand your feelings, kind of getting to know the difference between physiological hunger and emotional hunger and really understanding then, you know, how you can meet those, um, those needs. Um, another key factor is your environment. So it's nearly impossible to perform healthy habits if your environment isn't supportive of that. Think about your environment at work. Think about your environment at home and it comes to your health habits. What's your food environment look like? You know, what are you surrounding yourself with? And can you make any swaps or switches? You know, we make 250 food decisions a day. Wow. Um, yeah. And so it's like we're constantly, constantly, you know, deciding smaller, large lattes, like two pieces of that or one. And if we can kind of cut down on the amount of decisions that we have to make in terms of actually resisting temptations, um, you know, if we have to resist multiple temptations throughout the day. It's very likely that when we get to the end of the day, we're going to give, give in to temptation because we become defeated. Our willpower becomes tired. It's like the parent with the toddler that just keeps yeah. asking for the ice cream and they just eventually go, just have it right but it's like our conscious mind is like the parent of our inner child who doesn't have that logic who's just like I'm craving this I'm craving that I want this now so it's like decision fatigue and exhaustion right that's exactly it and it's the thing is like we can't really blame ourselves because as soon as you become tired or hungry or anything else become more susceptible to it and what they found in studies is that people that have the strongest ability to resist temptation they didn't have any stronger willpower what they had is better environments Mm-hmm. So they weren't having to resist as many temptations. They didn't have as many temptations in their environment. So if you're, you know, if you're trying to not, you know, text that guy, you know, if you've got your phone on you at all times, it's going to make it harder. If you're constantly looking at his profile on Facebook, you know, it's going to make it harder. How can you engineer your environment so that actually that's not what you're looking at right now? And the other way kind of around that as well is like to plan, you know, there's a concept called delayed gratification. A couple of biscuits in work, you know, isn't often as satisfying as maybe going for a beautiful cake and a coffee on a Saturday morning and making it a ritual. Um, And, you know, and I say to people, you know, what are your indulgences? That's where we start, you know, and I say there's two factors that are implicated in long-term weight gain and they're deprivation and stress. And so, you know, and the interesting thing is that all the literature shows that diets increase deprivation and they also increase stress. So, yeah, nothing you know. worse than just constantly thinking about food. Yeah, it's honest. Yeah, and it can drive you crazy. And so the first thing I say to my clients is, okay, well, what do you love? Like, what do you want to not give up? And they're like, what? Why are we starting with this? Like, <laughs> um, and I'm like, let's start with this because this is important to me. It's important to you. And I want you to live a life where you feel like you've got freedom and flexibility in what you eat. And, you know, so we start with that. And so we try and create a beautiful ritual around it. You know, um, so for example, like every Saturday morning, I go for a walk with my husband and we go and we go to the bakery and we have croissant and coffee and we just absolutely love it. Like we call it peak weekend because it's always like time <laughs> that we absolutely love together. Um, but we savor it and, you know, we look forward to it. And we also use it as a tool to help us resist other temptations throughout the week. So we're like, well, that's not really as nice as actually going for that ritual and going and doing that. 
and we make sure that we get the nicest croissant we can and get to the nicest bakery that we can and really savor and enjoy every moment of that and it's so much more satisfying than actually grabbing a biscuit on the go or whatever else um, I'd ask you also um, another note in your environment is have a look at your social media environment as well, because I say, you know, you are what you eat. And so think about what your media diet is. Is it bringing you feelings of inadequacy? Is it bringing you feelings of low self-worth? Because, you know, you're eating that every day. You know, you spend like, a lot, you know, I think on average, we spend about seven hours now on, in technology um, mm-hmm. a day. So like, you know, and where your attention goes, your brain follows. So be really careful about what you're doing around that as well. You know, is there a way that you can look at actually, you know, following people like Amy who are more supportive and kind of lift you up and help bring you confidence um, rather than people that are going to make you feel, you know, um, like you're comparing yourself. If you kind of, you know, follow people that have positive mantras or memes or anything like that, that's all help driving you positively towards your goal. So think about that environment as well. And the final note then is your social environment. You know, who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with? Are Mm -hmm. they positively encouraging you towards your goal? Or are they influencing you in a negative way? And think about, you know, is that the most supportive environment for me right now when I'm trying to achieve um, this certain thing? So the first one is self-kindness. Second is environment. And the third aspect um, is enjoyment. The habits that we stick to are those that we enjoy the most. Mm -hmm. Um, And they say, you know, one, two goals are much more likely to be stuck to than have two goals. And so I say, you know, to my clients all the time, you know, they come in and they're like, oh, but I tried spinning and, you know, I'm trying the green smoothies, I'm trying this. And I'm like, do you like it? Do you enjoy it? And they're like, no, no, it's, no, I yeah. yeah. it. And that's it's what, crap. that's what that so, influencer yeah. said, you know, but no. So true. And I'm like, if you don't like it, don't do it. Like, there's no point choking down a kale salad if you hate kale you know, you're not going to stick with it long term. The stickiest habits are the ones that bring us joy. So I say to my clients, you know, let's start to make a joy list over our time together. You know, I tend to work with people for a six week period. And I'm like, let's start adding in those healthy behaviors that bring you joy. Even stuff as simple as, you know, you love the crunch of a fresh apple, or you love how like hot water and lemon makes you feel kind of like refreshed in the morning. Or how you love kind of having a walk and a catch up with a colleague at work, you know, during the middle of the day, whatever it is, like the tiniest things, because it's so often when it comes to our health habits, we look at them from a deprivation or a lost mindset where, you know, we think about everything that's taken away rather than what we can actually gain by engaging with our health habits. I'd say, you know, start creating a joy list and actually, you know, the they say that when you recognize that in terms of intentionality, when you start to recognize that a certain activity brings you joy, it's more likely that you connect with that and then your brain starts to seek out that situation. Amazing. Yeah. And I guess as well, the more joy that you have in your life, the less you need to rely on, you know, the thing that you binge on, I yeah. guess, or that, that little hit that gives you that little payoff but doesn't give you like the long-term return or isn't, you know, the long-term investment in your happiness. So I've definitely found because, um, you know, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, I mean, I was a total total train wreck in terms of every type of habit, but I also had very disordered behaviors around food. Um, Wouldn't put myself in like an ED category, but I tried all sorts of things, you know what I mean? And um, it was when I was feeling like the least fulfilled, say in my relationships or work was feeling really shit or things weren't going very well elsewhere that I'd get in that mindset of like, okay, 
this week I'm going to restrict this week I'm going to try and you know like not eat until 3 p.m and then I'm going to have a bowl of broccoli and you know what it lasts a week and then come the weekend you're so deprived that it's like okay now I'm going to eat drink all the calories and alcohol you know and it was when I started adding more fulfillment into my career into my relationships when I started you know changing the environment that I was in changing the friendships that I you know was um, participating in changing the things that I did as like hobbies and joy rather than just drinking all the time and shopping online and drinking some more that my emphasis on food and on drugs and on cigarettes and all of that stuff it just faded away really naturally It, it was like crowded out by all the joy that was in all the other pockets of my life so I think it's like that word joy is key isn't it it's like where can you find the things that spark joy um, and how can you make those things a regular habit or a regular way that you take care of yourself if you want to really kind of engage with this in terms of self-care point of view there's a technique called savoring and it's basically just sitting in a good moment so if you've had a good piece of news or you know enjoying your partner's laughing hysterically at a comedy gig or you know having a shower or whatever it is like lean into those moments of joy and actually sit with them and really savor them because that's training your brain to attend to that positive emotion and so you know we all know that we have a negativity bias and so our brains are naturally going to go to the critic they're naturally going to go to that um threat system they're naturally going to be anxious because that's what led us to survive in the past. You know, those who are most anxious survive the most. It really helps create that neurological feedback loop that's really positive mm-hmm. and reminds you that you are taking care of yourself, that you do care, that you have goals. And that just further reinforces your success over time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my really simple ones is like, I love just when my phone's gone flat or something and I'm walking and there's just sun shining on me and you just feel like, that golden light on you or if you hear a little bird in the morning or you know even the sound of actually rain outside when you're like by the fire or whatever it is small things like that or like my husband's laugh or you know even just like you have certain friends who you just like tell the shittest jokes with and you just have like the silliest sense of humor like things like that that I guess they're really small but they build up on each other and then back to what you were saying with social media like I think I follow like (laughs) my social media feed looks so different now to probably me five years ago I used to just follow girls who were really skinny so that it would be like inspiration and I think a lot of people still do that they follow people whose lives that they're jealous of or they're comparing themselves to almost in this like weird way of trying to inspire themselves to be motivated Mm. but but actually like now I follow women who are doing all different things and men you know different sizes um different shapes different colors doing different things with their lives not just coaches but people who are like humanitarians and have similar values and seeing that diversity reminds your brain like it's okay for me to be different it's okay for me to be me I'm one of the colors of the rainbow of like all the people that exist say to yourself you know does this uplift me you know does this bring me into the right places to support my goals if not totally just to like further like elaborate on that it doesn't mean that everyone you follow has to be like the Dalai Lama and Jay Shetty and you know all these people yeah. who are like amazing but talking about quite serious topics obviously 
it can be like your funniest meme page because yeah. you laugh out loud, you know, and you belly laugh when you see the stupid memes or the stupid comments or whatever it is. But it's like, I guess, taking responsibility and not just mindlessly scrolling the way that we're not just going to sit there and mindlessly eat or mindlessly spend our time. Yeah. It's like going like, why do I follow this page? Does this come from self-love? If I really love myself, do I want to consume this content? Yeah. Or is this coming from that part of me that thinks they need to be different or thinks they need to, you know, be more significant or the part of me that's that insecure part of me that thinks I need to be fixed or changed in some way? Yeah. And in a way, like, and I kind of can circulate back to what we were talking about, which is what are you craving? You know, what are you trying to get out of this? Like, what is the purpose of this behavior? And is it getting you somewhere that is actually where you want to go? And if not, you know, why are you engaging with it in the first place? So what's on your joy, joy list? So one thing I love to do is I, my office is right beside a park. So I walk out and I look up at the leaves. And I just love the way the light kind of comes through oh, the leaves. Oh, that's on my joy list too. Yeah. I love that. Oh, and and um, when I, I was in Spain the other day and like sparkle, sparkling water, when the water is sparkling, yeah. I'm like, oh, it's like diamonds yeah. in ocean. Yeah. No, I love that. I think the Japanese actually have a word for it. I think it's called komorbi, um, which is like the way the light shines through the leaves, which is just, yeah. And actually what I, I found out recently um from physiology paper is actually by looking up you open up the vagus nerve and um, which actually is a really uh, stress relieving posture for your body so actually wow. by looking up and looking at the leaves not only are you one connected with nature which is you know really important for our um you know immune systems and you know our stress management but also that you're actually opening your vagus nerve which is really soothing for the body as well Another thing I love to savor is, yeah, I like that just a beautiful hand cream. Um, I also, I love, I have like, I'm very caffeine sensitive. I have one coffee a day, but do I make that coffee last? <laughs> and so I just take my time to really kind of savor all the flavors that go through it. Another thing I, I savor is kind of, you know, when I walk through the door at the end of the day, you know, so kind of, you know, my husband comes to greet me and just kind of the look on his face and you know, to have someone to come home to and to them being excited about seeing you even though we've been together like you know 16 years you know wow. that is something that is is a beautiful thing and not to be taken for granted and something that I say there is a small kind of joy and I like to then you know on a daily basis kind of like you know the winds of the day just to kind of really train your brain you know at the end of the day it's kind of like this reminder that pops up and says you know what went well today Heather like you know and I kind of go back through you know, all of the wins and it kind of sets me in a really good mindset then for my evening. Yeah. Um, do you write that down or do you just think about it? Like, what's the way to do that? Um, so I write it down because I'm a bit, quite a visual person. So if I write something and see it, it kind of reinforces it to myself. Um, I know people that think about it on their walk on the way home or they might think about it on the tube or whatever. I, I always say it's what works for you. Yeah, I guess it works probably if you're someone who's more of a kinesthetic learner to yeah. you work or you you like touch or um but for me I'm more someone I need to like say things out loud to understand them. Okay. So like mirror work would be I guess powerful there yeah. where you might say in the mirror every day, like, I love you, you did so well yeah. today, you didn't, you know, lose your shit in that meeting. Yeah. Well done, well done, good on you, you know, give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah. Um but yeah, I do think writing things down is always amazing though too because you're like energizing your thoughts and yeah. it's really nice to look back on journals like yeah. that too where you go, 
wow, I've got this full book of things that I've done really well. Yeah. And just celebrating and acknowledging yourself for doing well, even if you've had a really terrible day. It's so important, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, no, and I absolutely agree. And I it's what I call a micro change as well. Like it probably takes me like like 30 seconds a minute max to do but it's how I maintain my mental health on a daily basis and it's something that you know I really encourage my clients to because I always you know I ask my clients when they come to me and as you, you know, mentioned you know a lot of people suffer from stress in London big city you know kind of high flyers and everything else and I say well what are your stress relieving habits and you know people will say oh well, I do yoga class or I go to meditation and that's great it's and it's fantastic habit to build but it's like how does that fit into your day you know another one is that I know that I kind of have reached peak stress by three or four o'clock so I go out and do that walk where I kind of look up at the trees and it takes me no more than like five to seven minutes to do and what allows me to kind of reframe the day and come back with kind of an added new energy and so I would say to people you know what are those kind of little habits you can sprinkle throughout your day that can help actually relieve stress so you're not just putting it all on you know that massage you're going to get in the weekend or you know the bubble bath at the end of the day that there's kind of a series of micro changes that you're making Mm. throughout your day and when you need it most so just think about your day think about those moments that you can capture that actually can they can become stress relieving moments yeah I think there's probably a compound effect too you know if it's just these you know one minute sprinkles like you said you end up feeling really proud of yourself because you're taking care of yourself. And I think as well, that's got a really big knock-on effect because a lot of people rely too heavily on their partners to like fulfill them and to make them okay. So it's like they come home, they've had a shitty day. They can't express that to their boss because they'll get fired. Their boss is being a dickhead. So then they come home and they expect their partner to make it all better. And it's a lot of expectation to expect your partner to fulfill everything yeah. and to fulfill every need for you you yeah. know and to always know what you need and to always be there to give it yeah because they've got needs too obviously you yeah. know so I think like the more that you can be uh in that kind of mindset of little acts of self-care almost like just a little uh like pat on the back to yourself or a little way of holding your hand and going it's all right I'm going to do this for you it's going to make you feel better for like a minute the less you rely on other people around you to do everything for you to give that to yourself in little ways I think it's achievable for everyone so if there was a couple of small changes that you would say are like high mileage habits so like really micro things in the context of like being healthier having more energy what would be the key little things that people could implement oh great question I'd say it's very person specific so I think what I'm going to do is completely avoid that and just kind of recap on the five questions to ask yourself because I could say you know meditation is amazing but if you're not a meditator like I don't really believe in a one-size-fits-all because you know each person has to find their own habits and it's a journey you know there's that common belief that it takes 21 days to change a habit no it's um, false isn't it yeah they say it's between 66 and 122 days depending on how complex it is so simpler habits modern micro changes more likely to happen but ultimately, if you're not doing it anymore, it's not a habit anymore. You know, there's a really good point that says, you know, like healthy lifestyle. It isn't a finish line to be crossed. It's a lifestyle to be lived. And so it's it's about asking yourself, you know, why is what I'm doing important? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's the smallest change I can make today to go in that direction of that goal that I want to go at? 
asking yourself how confident you are in that change. And what I would say to yourself is ask yourself on a scale of one to 10, with one not being confident at all and 10 being 100% confident that you can carry out that micro change for the next seven days. If you're anything less than 70% confident that you can carry out that one small change for the next seven days, make it easier. You know, experiment with what feels right for you. You know, I always say it's better to go to the gym once a week for seven weeks because that's habit forming than to go for seven days in a row and never go again. Then ask yourself, you know, when and where am I going to perform that goal this week? And ask yourself, what's going to get in the way? Think about all of those barriers, visualize those barriers, and then visualize possible alternatives. And then ask yourself, you know, how can I add in joy to this habit as well? Is this something that's fun for me? You know, can I listen to a really motivating podcast at the same time as doing this? You know, can I do this with a friend? Can I do this in a more fun way? You know, how can I make this easier or more fun for myself? Mm-hmm. And kind of asking yourself those kind of key questions can really set you on the track for kind of long-term success. Amazing. So like an example might be you've got a really stressful job, but you want to start working out more. And you know you're going to go to an F45 class on Wednesday evening. But what happens is your boss ends up needing you to stay back, right? So you're going to miss it. So you would have a plan of like, okay, well, if I end up missing the class, then maybe I'm going to, you know, walk instead of getting the bus home. Or I'm going to rest and then see if I can get up early the next day. Or I'm going to just have a really healthy dinner instead and give yourself like options rather than going, fuck it yeah it's all ruined yeah and I'm never gonna be sorry on one day yeah yeah and the thing is with that as well is like um it's a really good book called Atomic Habits by James Clear and he's got a great philosophy which is never miss twice so you know it's okay to miss a session you know and you might have a backup plan like that which is very very important so you have a plan you know if that doesn't happen this is what's going to happen instead but the key is not to miss twice because habits are based on repetition and consistency and so if something goes wrong, that's absolutely fine. And there will be times that even if you have all the planning in the world, you cannot, you know, um, you don't have an alternative. You know, these things happen. But the key is never miss twice. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a better option to guilt and shame. So. Yeah. Yay. It does. Yeah. Amazing. Well, it's been amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. You're like the most knowledgeable person I think I know. But it's been incredible to have you. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this episode ignited you, expanded you, and enriched your heart, your mind, your life in some way. If it did, reach out on Instagram. My handle is this is Amy Rushworth, or you can head over to my website for all my courses, retreats, and magical offerings at amyrushworth.com. If the show feels like a vibe for you, make sure you subscribe. And if you have 60 seconds to rate and review, or even to just share the show with a friend, I would be so, so, so grateful and it helps more amazing, beautiful people like you to discover this show and to improve their lives for the better. Stay tuned for the next episode and until then, I'm sending you strength, grace, ferocious courage and a friendly reminder to always love yourself fiercely and to go out there and live your most unapologetic life.